Welcome to the Taking a Bite Out of EdTech podcast, where we're making all things EdTech easy to digest. I'm Marshall Beyer, and in this episode, we'll be joined by my friend and colleague, Satara Ali. We are going to be discussing how to activate student engagement online. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about activating student engagement online today. Okay, so just to kind of quickly run through the agenda for the day, we're going to talk about what is active engagement online, what that looks like. We're going to talk about how to engage our students when we're doing things online. Uh, We're also going to be talking about leaving feedback to promote engagement with our students. We're then going to be talking about ways that we can um, integrate engagement and uh, not compliance. And then we are also going to talk about different ways that we can engage our students online, whether that be through Google Classroom, Flipgrid, um, journaling, Google Slides, or an art portfolio. So what does active engagement online actually look like? Active engagement online looks slightly different than active engagement in our classrooms. We want to have engagement and not compliance. So engagement in the topic, project, or activity means that students have the whole mind in the project. They're working with their peers, participating in academic discourse, being creative, and are doing more than just that basic bare minimum. This can show itself in type discussions, video discussions, projects, virtual face-to-face communications using Zoom or breakout rooms, and these are always teacher-facilitated and scaffolded. Okay, so next we're going to talk about um, engaging students with the topic. So we want to make sure that students are engaged with the content learning. And first, it has to be relatable to them. So the topic needs to speak to each student. Um, It needs to speak to their why and how questions. So why is this important? How does this relate to me? Those types of things. Um, It's a a constant self-reflection that our students do daily. And then in order for our students to engage in the material, these questions must be answered for them, not and not always by us. It needs to be answered by them. Um, Some of the best responses are those solicited by our students. So the answers to why does this matter to me and why is this important to me has to be personal. It has to be purposeful. Um, Otherwise, engagement doesn't occur, which means learning doesn't occur. So we want to make sure that when we are engaging our students with the topic online, whether it's online or offline, we want to make sure that it's relatable. We want to make sure that it's rigorous, that it's thoughtful and purposeful. Like we said, we want to make sure that each student's why question, why is it important, how does it relate to me, and um, make sure that those topics are kind of covered and they're able to answer those questions. And if they're able to answer those questions, we're able to engage them, which then in turn means that the possibility of learning dramatically increases. And then feedback. I can't talk about feedback enough. Feedback is one of the most important pieces within education. By providing timely feedback to our students and requiring that they respond or at least address the feedback, we teachers can help facilitate the higher order thinking and create a more connected and aware student just by asking the right questions. 
For example, if my students are currently journaling their experiences during this historic event, they could take a picture of their journal pages and submit those to Google Classroom, but I can start facilitating them by asking specific questions. Like how has the nation's schools closing down illustrated how dependent on technology our society has become? Or how do you think our society will differ in a few months because of increased use in social media? Why are these economic changes and challenges important to running our economy? You could also try to involve students within the discussion. Like how is this impacting your family personally? And the biggest point that I wanna to try to make is try to get helpers. In our classroom, we all have helpers in our room. People that help answer the door, they pass out papers, just specific jobs in our classroom. Definitely utilize those key students now online. Have them help you facilitate those discussions. Have the students support each other and give them a way to help each other. So definitely utilize those key students that we utilize in the classroom. You can also utilize them online as well. Okay, so now we're going to talk about how to integrate engagement when we're working online. So there are many different ways that we can integrate technology with our students to promote engagement. So first one is a cool Google Classroom discussion board. This is one of the ways that we can integrate engagement with our students. So before we get too much into this, remember, don't try to take on too much at one time, okay? Take it slow. If there's something that you're already doing, continue doing it. If there's something on maybe this list or just in general that you're like, hmm, I'm like I kind of wanted to try that before, now might be a good time to kind of test the waters and see how that engagement works. So one thing could be Google Classroom discussion boards. So our students can go on there. We, you as a teacher can pose a question. You can have a discussion on there. And we're going to dive into these a little bit more in detail in a little bit. But so one way, like I said, is we can do discussion boards with Google, within Google Classroom. Flipgrid for video sharing and responding. This is a great way to have engagement and discussion. I know before the shutdown, Sitara and I went into a sixth grade class and they were reviewing math concepts. Originally, the teacher was going to have them kind of like write it down in a, in a journal and they were going to do these presentations. And then Sitara and I came in and we introduced Flipgrid to them. And the teacher said that she had never seen her kids more engaged. Um, they were coming up with all these different ways to show their learning. Some of the students that were leading the groups were students that would have never responded or never volunteered to do anything. So just introducing that video element just immediately clicked on that engagement for them. And then it's they get a kick out of seeing your videos. They get a kick out of seeing each other's videos, those types of things. And then they're able to respond to each other as well. So another thing that you could do is you could use Zoom. So like we're doing right now, you can use this for video conferencing. You can have discussions. We're also going to talk about journaling or book creating, especially during this time. It, it's I can see them wanting to kind of document what's going on right now, their feelings, just different events that are going on, how it's affecting them, how it's affecting their family, like we talked about. And then um, another way that we can engage them is creating a digital art portfolio, which we'll get into in a little bit. All right, so how to have online discussions. When having an online discussion, we first have to be aware that these discussions look very, very different than in our classrooms. We won't be able to have everyone talk or finish the discussion in within 45 minutes or even 10 minutes. These discussions will last over many days and they can even last over a whole week. And they should take this long. The teacher should be facilitating the discussion, coming back in and just checking once a day and just asking those provoking questions to get the students to chime in and contribute. 
You should be utilizing your key students that we always have in our classroom, and they could be facilitating the discussion as well. Another trick to these online discussions is to utilize those high achieving students to just moderate it. They could, instead of just asking facilitating questions, they could be going in there and moderating and letting you know, oh, someone asked this question that you need to address, or can I respond this way to this person? We all have those amazing students in class who would be perfect at this and who would love that chance to be one of those online moderators. So definitely utilize them in this online discussion format. Okay, so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna dive into Google Classroom discussion boards a little bit. So um, within Google Classroom, it allows for multiple options for teachers when we wanna do some type of like discussion. So you can post an update, so right on the stream, you can post an update there, you can post an assignment, you can post materials, and then when we're asking questions, there's a couple different ways that we can ask questions. We can do a multiple choice question, we can do a short answer question, which would lend itself very nicely for discussion boards. Um, students could submit pictures of an assignment, and there's many, many more ways that we can um, have kind of a discussion board within Google Classroom, but like we said, we're wanting to do those discussion boards, those short answer questions are what's gonna be vital to that discussion board in Google Classroom. So how to actually post a short answer question. When you are in your teacher Google Classroom and you hit the create button under classwork, it gives you a lot of different options. Most of the time we all just stick with the assignment, but to actually get a online discussion board or a discussion board within Google Classroom going, you want to hit the question and when you hit the question, that's when it'll look just the same like an assignment. So you wanna hit the question, that's the very first step in order to get the discussion board up and running. So after you click question, now it's gonna look very similar to you. It's gonna look kind of just like an assignment. Only at the top, it's gonna to say question instead of assignment. So instead of putting in your assignment title, you can type in your question here. You can type in your instructions. If you have any type of um, grading category, you can assign those, you can assign a due date, you can assign a topic, which we'll talk about. You can allow the short answer. So when it's the down in the left-hand corner there, when it's asking for like the answer type or the question type, you want to make sure that you're choosing short answer. So they are able to type in an answer and give that, contribute to that discussion. And then you want to make sure that you have students can reply to each other on so that continued discussion can can go on and they can look at each other's responses. They can reply to each other's responses. They will not see someone's response until they have responded. And so then you can set this up and then you can ask that question. And then now you can start your your discussion within Google Classroom. So there's three ways that students can respond, and we're going to show you what it looks like from the student side in the next slide. But it's very important for the teacher to understand how Google has confused the student. So when, this, when you apply a short answer question, the student will see three different spots. They'll see class comment, private comment, and a turn it in comment. You're going to want them to respond where it says turn it in, and we have a picture of what it looks like from the student side. Okay, so this is what the student would see. So you're going to ask that question. They're going to click on the question. Here are the three places that they could answer. So they could add their class comment. It allows students to see their response right away. Um, it's best for students who have questions which their classmates can answer. Um, then there is the 
Turnitin, where at the top there where it says your answer, that's where they would type in their answer and then turn it in. And then the bottom part there where it says private comment, that's where they would submit the answer to a question. Um, that's going to go directly to you. Questions that they don't want anyone to see, anything like a, like a, a question about, a, about an assignment or something, if they want that to go straight to you, they would go into the private comment section. But if you're wanting to do a discussion board, you're going to want them to type in their answer in the Turnitin section. I wanted to talk a little bit about muted students when we use Google Classroom. Sometimes we mute specific students because we need to have another discussion about digital citizenship and how to conduct themselves online. Uh, me coming from a middle school background, that happened constantly. But it's one of those things that as a teacher, we just needed to keep readdressing. Muted students can still answer the main question within the Turnitin section, but their responses will not show up to the other students and they won't be able to respond to the other students' responses. So you can mute individual students still and they can still complete the work that goes along with that specific question, but they won't actually be able to participate in the discussion. So that at least gives you some time to readdress digital citizenship with them, to readdress how they need to conduct themselves online. Okay, so Classroom keeps track of those students who responded for you. So this is what you would see on your end. So you have um, at the top, there's the question and then there's the student answer section. So this is the student answer section. So at the top there, I can see that three of my students have turned it in. So that means three of my students have answered the question. Two of them, are it's assigned to them, but they haven't answered it yet. And then here I can go through and I can see their answers. I can see their initial answer there. And then um, I can quickly kind of keep track of who has answered my question, who hasn't. You'll notice too that at the bottom there, test five, it has like the little speaker with the line through it. So that's gonna show you that the student is muted. So just so you have an idea of what um, that looks like. All right, now we're gonna switch gears a little bit. So that was how to hold the discussion board on Google Classroom, allowing students to respond to a question and then responding to each other. Now we're going to look at Flipgrid. So Flipgrid is just video recording. The teacher can either type a question or the teacher can record a video that has the question or the topic or whatever they want their students to make a video about. The teacher can also post a link to a YouTube video. You can upload an article. You can upload a PDF of a book. You can upload anything you want that your students will be able to respond to. And your students respond by creating a video of themselves and just talking. So it's like Sitara is saying, they, they respond with, with a video and you have some controls over how long those video responses would be. So you have anywhere from like 15 seconds to five minutes, which we are going to dive into Flipgrid a little later on this week, but we just wanted to kind of touch on it in this episode just because it, it lends itself nicely to engaging students online. So it's, they, they think it's fun. It only takes a few minutes. They can upload photos, they can do videos, they can trim their video so they can kind of edit a little bit. They can add emojis, they can add text to their video, and it's just, it's a, it's a cool way for them to kind of engage in, in the topic that's being discussed. So how do you flip grid? There 
are a ridiculous amount of examples of how teachers have actually used Flipgrid. And so some things that you can do within high school is you could do like reading a lot of books and each student can read a different book and they kind of report on it and they kind of call it book speed dating. So you're watching all the videos of all these different books. You can prove formulas. So you can have students write out a formula and prove, well, why does this work and why does it work a certain way? You can have them talk about abstract reasoning. You can have them peer review. So one of the things in Flipgrid is you can actually allow students to reply to each other. So one student makes a video and another student responds with a video. The teacher can actually respond with a video as well. You can talk about your aha moments or do think alouds, reflections. You can have little show and tells or science fairs. There's a lot of different things you can do with it. And even as an adult, I love using Flipgrid because there's filters and there's a lot of cool little things that kind of replicate social media for students that get their buy-in and they don't really realize how much they're learning when they're using a format that's so much fun like Flipgrid. Just to kind of um, elaborate a little bit more on this. So it's, it's fun for the students. I've, every classroom I've gone in and I've used Flipgrid with, I mean, the kids, the kids love it. And then they're working on a lot of, they're working on a lot of skills. They're working on their speaking they're, when they're watching each other's videos, they're working on their listening skills. You can easily incorporate writing into this. So I've worked with a lot of teachers that kids will write out a script beforehand and then they'll go in and they'll record their videos. So now you're integrating writing. You can integrate peer review of those scripts beforehand. I mean, there's the, the ways of integrating different skills and content areas is pretty much endless. But as a teacher, you do have some controls over the videos that are being posted to your grids and so you can kind of moderate and you can set different um, settings up and whatnot just just know that you do have you do have control over the the videos that are being posted into your Flipgrid. Okay so another way that you can have students um, engage online and creating things is having them create a journal or an ebook. Um, remember all these options just provide students uh, a choice so when you give them more choices, you're automatically getting more engagement from them because they are able to pick the way that they want to show their learning and the way that they're going to kind of exhibit that for you. So when you're giving them choice, your engagement, their engagement is increasing and then their buying is increasing as well. So they can record their thoughts in a journal. So it could be a physical journal that they're writing. It can be something in like Adobe Spark or it could be in something like Google Slides or they can create a Google site, or they can use Google Docs. There's also Book Creator that they could use. And then I do have a couple templates that are linked up here on this slide, and then we do have some more on the next slide that we'll talk about. But there's a newspaper slide template that they could use to create their own little newspaper. If they wanted to create like a magazine, there's a, um, we have a Time Magazine template, a National Geographic template, or a People's Magazine template. So there's a myriad of ways that they can journal, but it doesn't look like a quote unquote typical journal, but they have choice. I mean, you can be asking them to write and look at all the different ways that they can choose how they want to write. So just giving them those choices, giving them those options, it's going to increase the buy-in, which in turn is going to increase engagement, which in turn is going to increase the learning. 
And then Marshall had mentioned some Google slide templates. So all of these images are all linked. So in your copy of the slides, you'll be able to click open up all of these and just go to file, make a copy. We've got, if you're Harry Potter fanatics like I am, there is a newspaper that's just like the Daily Prophet where your students can just change it. But everything just looks like the Daily Prophet from Harry Potter. National Geographic, if they're in the comics, there's a template on making DC comics, uh, time, people, a uh, little ebook example. Also, they could make inspirational posters. You can have your students do memes. Memes are huge right now. They are what keep me going now that we're all at home. You can have your students make memes. Just give them choices, see what they come up with. And all of these on this slide, they're all through Google Slides. So you can even upload these templates to Google Classroom and allow your students to have a copy of them. When you assign it in an assignment, just say make a copy for each student and then they have this and they can choose to use it or not. Okay, so we wanted to go into a little bit of how you can change the slide size. So um, I'm gonna go back real quick. So these the comic book, the magazine templates, they're all set to eight and a half by 11. So if you wanted to print them out and they could actually have a hard copy of what they created, you could do so. So to do that, you're gonna go into Google Slides, you're gonna go to File, and then you're gonna go down to Page Setup. And then by default, it's set to widescreen 16 by nine ratio, but then you wanna go down to Custom, and then now you can choose whatever size you want. So if you want to do it eight and a half by 11, you can change it to eight and a half by 11. If you want to change it to more of like an Instagram style where it's more of a square, you can choose a square like a five by five, six by six, something like that. So you really have endless opportunities and endless options when you are creating things in Google size because you can create the slide size to be whatever size you want. We wanted to talk about bookcreator.com. This is an approved app that you can use that some teachers within our district have been using with their class. And it allows students to create an ebook that looks like a legitimate book that they would get from an Amazon Kindle or the Nook. The teacher, as a teacher, you would just create the account and then you'd be able to connect to Google Classroom and accept all your students. And those that would like to create a book, they can create a book. They can add text, images, audio, video. It could be interactive. They could create how-to guides. They could create a report. But it allows them just a little more choice in the option of what they're doing. And then being able to utilize different formats to create different options, like they're using Book Creator to create an ebook. Then they can use Google Slides to create an ebook. You're teaching your students how to use all different types of technology, which is something that they'll really need when they go to high school, when they go to college, because they'll be surrounded with so many choices. Adobe Spark works completely different than Google Slides, and Google works completely different than Microsoft. But our students are going to have to be resilient and understand just the basic concepts and not be afraid to click. Okay, now we want to talk about creating an art por portfolio. So students uh, can create an art portfolio of their feelings um, or for a project, they could use Google Drawings, they could use Google Photos, they could make a collage, they could do dances. So this could be through, you know, um, Flipgrid and stuff like that. They could record themselves uh, doing songs, they could do that as well. So 
art allows students to express themselves and allows them to be creative. So just giving them, going back to giving them that choice and saying, hey, I want you to do this particular thing, but you have these options to do it. So maybe some students, they want to do a drawing. They want to create some type of poster to express their knowledge. Maybe some students want to create a book or they want to write a newspaper article, just giving them choices, things that are going to resonate with them is going to increase the engagement, is going to increase the buy-in, which then in turn is going to increase the learning. All right, so just some takeaways. We just wanted to make sure that we talked about student choice. There are so many different options that are out there for students to be creative. Give them choice. When you start limiting the options for students, that's where they start pushing back. Give them four choices and say, pick which one of these you want to create but here are all the requirements. You will get so much better work and buy-in from your students just with giving them student choice. Make the assignments purposeful and relatable to them, especially now with everything that they're going through. We don't really know a lot of what's going on at home with their families, with their jobs. So try to make the assignments as purposeful and relatable as you can and make sure that you're trying to have them answer those why and how questions. Why is this important to me and how will this affect me? Don't stick with the, well, you need it for high school or, well, you're going to need this for college because right now that's not going to mean anything to our students. So try to make it as meaningful and purposeful and relatable as possible. Okay, that concludes our episode this week on activating student engagement online. Links to resources and our social handles and stuff will be in the description. For the Taking a Bite Out of EdTech podcast, where we're making all things EdTech easy to digest, this is Marshall Byers signing off. I'll catch you next time.